0: So the book of Acts chapter 18 last week we we talked about and our lesson title was Don't Give Up. And we saw all the things that they went through and they were uh, the persecution was ramping up and every city that they went to, they'd get run out, right? And so every time they would leave this city, they'd go to a new city and they start telling people about Jesus again and they just they didn't give up. And so that was our lesson last week, but today in Acts chapter 18, I'd like to talk to you and and I think the the good summary of this chapter and a good title for our lesson would be a light in the darkness so that's what we're going to call this lesson today is a light in the darkness and in acts chapter 18 we'll see that played out here through the apostles lives and so before we begin let's pray this morning and just ask the lord's blessing over his word and ask him to for the ability to to uh, minister his word and also for us to receive it amen with open hearts and minds father we come to you today in jesus name god we give you thanks for this awesome privilege that you've given us to even have your word and to be able to open it whenever we choose to Thank you for those that's gathered and those that will hear. And Lord, we just ask you to open the scriptures to us today. Have our eyes enlightened, our minds enlightened, our eyes open, and our hearts encouraged today by your word. Lord, give us the ability today to expound upon your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. A light in the darkness. We're going to see that today as the apostles were fleeing one other city from persecution. They had to go to another. And we're going to see that the place that they went to, was a town called Corinth. And we're going to find out this was not too good of a godly place uh, in the ancient world, but we're going to see that God did good things there. So let's begin reading in Acts chapter 18, and in verse 1 it says this, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now in verse 1, just to give you some background, if you don't already know, uh, Corinth was a city in ancient Greece. Okay, And uh, I think there's some things still around there in where the city of Corinth used to be in modern day Greece. But it's not too far from Athens, Greece. I know you've heard of that. Uh, It's kind of a popular tourist attraction nowadays, but it's just kind of, I think it's over a little bit to the west (coughs) and maybe slightly south of Athens. But it was a bustling city located in where modern day Greece is and not far from Athens. It was renowned for its idol worship and they embraced most every form of religion. In In other words, it was kind of a melting pot. And this was kind of like a little harbor city, and from what I understand from studying a little bit of history about it, it was kind of like a little small land bridge from one big part of the sea to another part, and people would pass through there instead of having to go all the way around. And so this was a bustling little port city where there was a lot of commerce going on, lots of things and lots of people. So anybody knows when you get lots of people from different parts of the world, what do you get? You get a melting pot. They say that's one of the things about New York City is there's so many people come in and out of the the city of New York because it's just kind of the gateway into the United States. And so you get a melting pot of all different kinds of ethnic groups. You get a lot of different religions. You get a lot of different things. So that's where this Corinth was at. Uh, What he's talking about here is Corinth. And you also uh, recognize that a couple, of cha- a couple of books over in the Bible, after we get done with Acts, you have Romans. Then you start what's called 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And those were letters that Paul wrote to this church in this city of Corinth. Hadn't been founded yet, as in the story we're reading it today, it hadn't been founded a Christian church yet, but they were just simply living there and then starting to work the gospel in this place. So this place called Corinth wasn't too godly of a place. Anything goes. Kind of a lot like we read last week in Athens. It was like they had temples and and idols set up for every other god and even one for an unknown god in case they didn't know about one, right? So that was kind of what they were dealing with. Now in verse 2, it mentioned about Claudius had uh, banished some people from Rome. Claudius, Claudius was the emperor of Rome and he had expelled all Jews from the city of Rome. And now Aquila and Priscilla were Jewish by ethnicity, meaning they were of their bloodline. They were of, the, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were Jewish that way, but they had converted to Christianity. Okay, And when they left Rome, they settled in Corinth. <clears throat> and see, uh, there's a couple of those emperors around this time become very hostile toward mainly any kind of religion other than worshiping the, the emperor himself. See, those emperors believed they were a God figure, okay? And so when somebody started talking about there's another authority other than the emperor, they didn't like that. So at this point in time, Claudius, he was pretty mean, and he banished all Jewish people uh, who were of the bloodline of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He told them, I want you out. I don't want any Christianity here. I don't want anything. I want y'all out. So they had to leave, and then Corinth is where they ended up. Now, I wonder why people who are following God and, and, and loving the Lord and Paul included, ended up here at the same place, in this same city, at the same time. You see, God always has a plan. And sometimes persecution, we take it as long as we can. Then when we have to flee, we go somewhere else and the Lord will bring us to a certain place and next thing you know, we're gathering together with other people with similar interests. So the Lord always has a plan for your life. We talked about that last week a little bit. The Lord has a plan for your life and He had a plan for theirs as well. Now, one a couple points I'd just like to make t- known to you. I think I don't think anybody here has much trouble with this. <clears throat> but I know there's a lot of hardcore dogmatic preaching going on out there. And there's a there's a lot of people that says, "Well, you shouldn't go anywhere that there's not godly stuff going on. You can't be involved in those kinds of things." Well, in a perfect world that will work. But we live in this world, and so did they. And they ended up in Corinth, and so did Paul. And I want you to just notice Nobody rebukes them or chastises them for moving to an ungodly place. Notice Paul found himself there as well, and the Lord was getting ready to do great things in the city. So let us not worry ourselves when the Lord moves us somewhere else or into something different. It may be that He will use us in an ungodly place. Have you ever been used in an ungodly place? And when you first went there, you thought, I don't know, this might not be the best situation for me but a few months or maybe a year passed and you realize there were people here who needed my help. I know lots of people who experience that. They go somewhere, the Lord moves them kind of and encourages them to go get a different job. The place at their current job is so bad they can't stand it anymore. It's just one thing after another and they just can't stay. So it gets so bad that they have to leave and when they leave, they go to another place and when they first get there, they think, oh no, maybe I should have just stayed where I was at. But within a few months, they start to realize there were people there that the Lord wanted them to help. Amen? And I've heard lots of testimonies about that. experienced that myself too. So don't don't worry yourself and, and get all bent out of shape if the Lord moves you to a different place or somewhere different to do something different. Those things are okay. And sometimes He'll use us in an ungodly place. The apostles, almost everywhere they went was an ungodly place. Think about it. Athens and Rome and Some of those cities, and even Jerusalem, it was worse, wasn't it? They were supposed to love them and be their brethren, but they treated them worse than anybody. So just know that that sometimes the Lord will move us into things that maybe we're not real comfortable with. Verse 3, something interesting point I'd like to make. It says, So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. Nearly all the ministers in the early church had regular jobs, aside from their ministry. Now, that doesn't mean it's, it's a sin for people to not have other jobs and just be simply a minister at a church somewhere or whatever. Whatever that congregation or that's, that church board works out with somebody, that's fine. But I do believe there's a clue here to what will be more of an effective minister and what will be in a, more of an effective New Testament church is if our ministers actually work in the, in the workforce. If they actually have a job or have had a job, they understand where people's coming from. It'd be one thing for me to stand up here and tell you, oh, I know what you're going through on your job, but then I don't have a job. See what I'm saying? So I think that was kind of God's plan in order to keep them, uh, to be able to communicate with people. Because when you've experienced something that other people have, it, it makes you able to help them better, right? Think about it. I know what it's like to work for good bosses, and I know what it's like to work for some that, man, you'd just like to wring their neck, right? You just go home and you're miserable and going back the next day and those kinds of things so so anyways they worked they had jobs they were tent makers that was their occupation so they went to this new city and they started doing their same occupation there i just think that that's a good thing to point out this morning like i said i'm not trying to throw rocks at other ministers who that's all they do and they get paid for it that's fine that's if that's where the lord leads them that's good but i do think it's good for us to understand where people's coming from amen so, that was just a, something to add in. Verse 6. <clears throat> but when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said, this was the Jews now he was trying to talk to, and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Sometimes people refuse the truth. There comes, does come a time when we're just wasting time, energy, and resources Jesus said in one place in Matthew chapter 7, Do not cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn and trample you also. We as Christians are some of the most loving, trusting, and forgiving people on the face of the earth. We're taught to do that, right? The scriptures teach us. Do our very best to get along with people and do, and do what needs to be done. But Jesus did, and also here is Paul doing the same thing. There does come a time when we realize that someone's only hurting us that that's the only thing they exist for. And every time we turn around, they're constantly hurting us or, or causing us turmoil or causing us conflict or whatever. There comes a time when we have to cut off that relationship. And Paul did that here. He loved these people. They were his brethren by ethnicity. He was trying to teach them that, look, you know you know so much about the scriptures, but I'm trying to tell you that Jesus is the Messiah and I'll prove it to you. And he would take them and show them and they just kept saying he was a blasphemer. They just kept rejecting him, kept rejecting him, Finally, he said, okay, look, I'm not going to worry about you guys anymore. I'm going to go to some people who will actually listen. So there does come a time when we have to cut people off. doesn't mean we hate them. doesn't mean that we're not still being a good Christian, but we just realize I'm just wasting time here. There could be somebody over here next door that I could be telling about Jesus and they'd get saved in an instant. But I can stand over here and argue week after week after week after week, and these people are never going to accept what they need to accept. So just know that there there does come a time and the Lord will lead you that way. We can't allow, that's one thing we have to be very careful. Let me put this in here. We have to be careful and not let our flesh make that decision. Make that decision the first time something goes wrong. One little thing goes wrong, well, I'm not with that person anymore. We do have to be a little bit stubborn, right? And make sure that it's just not the devil working through them and, and then we're going to give up on them. So let the Holy Spirit lead you on that. But there does come a time we have to cut ties with some people. Amen? Verses 7-11. So Paul now, he's, he's saying, look, I'm going to go talk to these Gentiles, these people that have been worshiping idols, been worshiping false gods, never even heard of Yahweh, never even heard of Jeho- uh, Jehovah. They're accepting Jesus left and right. So I'm going to go talk to them. I'm not wasting my time with you anymore. So verse 7, it says, and he departed from there, and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, this was the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul uh, in the night by a vision, and he said this Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. He had to make that clean split for those that just continually rejected the gospel. And so he turned his attention now to maybe some other people might believe, and it comes to find out this was God's plan all along. This is exactly where God wanted Paul at that moment in his life. For a year and a half, he stayed there and people were believing and he was teaching them and encouraging them. So that's the case there. So the Holy Spirit encourages Paul to remain in Corinth and tells him it's God's will for a Christian church to be established. If he hadn't give him that word of encouragement, Paul might have just been mad at the Jews and said, You know what? Nobody in this city is going to believe anything. I'll go to some other city. But the Lord gave him that word and said, hey, don't be afraid to speak my word here. I've got a lot of people in this city who's going to believe on me and going to trust in me and be my disciples. Amen? So the Holy Spirit will always lead us. He will always encourage us to do what we're supposed to do. Amen? A lot of times the people I hear people talking about the Holy Spirit Uh, did this and did that. And it's always something to do with some kind of hoopla in a church building. The Holy Spirit's work, His true work is to guide you and I in our day-to-day life when we're walking with the Lord on the job site, right? When we're walking into family situations that are going to be complicated, the Holy Spirit, that's when His work really takes place. Amen? Amen. So remember that. So why would God... Ask yourself this question. This ungodly city where they worship idols, and it's a melting pot of different ideas, different cultures, different all these things. Why would God all of a sudden now tell Paul, hey, stay right here. Don't be afraid. Nobody's going to hurt you in this city. They're going to be a little more receiving of you in this city. Nobody's going to hurt you for a while. So be bold and speak my word, right? Why would God do that in such a place? Because he loves people. He wants all to come to repentance and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen? And he was getting ready in this dark place to have a light to shine. And You see the title of our lesson, A Light in the Darkness. Look at verse 9 and 10. The Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. So that tells me that Paul in his mind had probably kind of decided maybe this is not the city for a new Christian church. But the Lord encourages him and says, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Some of the most comforting words the Lord could ever speak to you is to say, I'm with you. I'm with you. When He's with us, we still have difficulties. There's still some hard times, but to know He's with me. Hallelujah. That is so encouraging. Amen. So what, in other words, is He telling him here? Jesus said this in Matthew 5 and 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And I say this a lot, but I'll say it here too. Light has more of an effect the greater the darkness. If we shut these windows, shut the blinds, and pulled curtains over all the daytime light out here, right? If we turned off these lights, it would be very, very dark in here. We wouldn't be able to see much at all, right? We totally blackened it out. But you could take one little tiny small bulb and after just a few moments, you could pretty much see all the outline of this room and everything. These lights are bright today, but there's daylight coming in. If it was dark outside, these lights would seem even brighter to us. You and I are lights in the darkness. Our society, I hear people talking about it all the time and they're throwing their hands up in the air. I don't know what we're going to do. I hope the Lord hurries up and comes back. We can't take much more. I don't know how much longer it's going to be. I believe it's soon. But until He comes, He's gave us a command. Be a light in the darkness. Our society, man, you can see where they're headed, right? You can see where it's headed, but you and I are called to be the light. To be those people that show up to work on time, have a smile on our face, give honor unto God in whatever way we can, amen? We are the light, just like they were the light in this darkened world. Typically what happens though, and I find myself doing this, people want to talk politics, they want to talk problems, you kind of just go right in with them and start talking with them, right? And we never do mention the solution that, hey, this world needs Jesus. I'd be right there along with all them people if it weren't for Jesus. See, sometimes we forget to be that light. So that's just what the Lord wants us to see today. Be that light in the darkness. Corinth was a bad place. It was an ungodly city, but God said, I've chosen this place to put my name. Amen? Amen. So light has a greater impact when the atmosphere is dark. Always remember that. Amen? Verse 12. So after he, he was, says he was there for six months teaching them the Word of God, and during this year and a half he was there, there was another guy who became a boss. It says, When Gallio was proconsul of Achia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, old Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be the judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sothenes, The ruler of the synagogue, who this was the new ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat, but Gallio took no notice of these things. Those ancient cities were very interesting. You you had a person who was in charge, and you could just go take people and drag them down there and make an accusation against them, and that person would determine whether they needed punished or not. So they went and drug him down there and said, Hey, this guy's hurting our feelings. He's teaching stuff we don't like. He hadn't broken some kind of law, he hadn't stolen from anyone. We found out he's an employee. He works. He's, he's, he's working, making tents. He's not a drag on society in any way. He's not stolen. He's not cheated. He's not lying. He's just simply preaching the gospel. And they didn't like it. So they take him down there and, and want this guy to punish him. And he said, I don't want to be involved in that. And then privately they took and beat the guy and just all this kinds of stuff. And what do we learn from that? What is there to learn from this for you and I? You know, persecution is never going to stop. Some persecution's worse than others. These guys handled some really rough stuff. Physical, bodily harm is what they handled. Sometimes for us, it's just words, right? People just throw words around, they don't like what we said or something. But there's always going to be persecution. Jesus said that. Persecution will find us no matter where we go or what we do. If we live for Christ, we will face some form of persecution. I'll quote this to you out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Bible says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you choose to live godly in an ungodly society, there's going to be somebody make fun of you or have something to say about it. I've talked about it a lot when I was growing up and going through high school. They'd always invite us to these parties after a football game. You know, I played football and after the games was over, they'd say, hey, man, we're going to such and such. We've got a bonfire. We're going to party. We'd love to see you there. Had no interest. Mom and Dad wouldn't let me go anyway, but I, I didn't have any interest myself. I was like, no. And they'd come back on Monday morning. This would be Friday nights. They'd come back on Monday morning, and they'd tell their stories. And you know what happened? They'd all get drunk, and they'd all throw up. One of them pushed their car up in a bonfire one night, burned their car up. Somebody, I don't know who, did that. They'd be broke up with their girlfriends because they was flirting with this one and that, and it just the horrible things would go on at these parties. And they'd look at me and think, "Man, you don't know what's fun." And I'm sitting there thinking, "That's not fun. What you just? I don't like to throw up. So when you drink or get high to the point of throwing up, how is that fun? You know what I mean? So you see, you will suffer persecution. They always looked at me as a prude. Oh, man, Rick, man, he don't know how to have fun. I've had people say that to me a lot. Thankfully, that was one of the things I never got into. I drove too fast and some of those kinds of things and took chances and things like that in vehicles, but I never got drunk and carried on and all that kind of stuff, and people thought I was approved. Goody two shoes. But see, that was a form of persecution to try to belittle me in front of other people because I just chose, I just I don't want to do that, Right? And so it will happen. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So if you make the decision in your life to go to church on Sunday, that's another one that I talk about sometimes. People get, I get tickled these people that like to run to the bars and clubs and have big fun. They say, man, I don't know why those people go to church every Sunday morning. So they go to the same old place, sing the same old songs, do the same old stuff. That's boring, right? And I started asking them the question, you go to the same old club and listen to the same old songs drink the same old beer and do the same old stupid stuff. In my opinion, that's not very fun, right? So you see, there is a persecution that comes to people who want to live a godly life. Don't take it personal. Just know that that's what's going to happen. Amen? And don't let it get you down. Be a light in the darkness. Amen? Be that light in the darkness. Now, here's an interesting thing, and I'll tell you this, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just telling you this is, these are facts. Those same people that I graduated with and went through high school with, there's a whole bunch of them dead. And they died in drunk driving accidents, overdoses, got killed by other people, fooling around with people's spouses and stuff. There's a whole bunch of them dead. And the other ones that didn't get straightened out or get saved or kind of let that stuff go, Their lives are a mess. So you see, those who live godly in Christ Jesus, there is a reward for you. Let your light shine. Now those people are the ones that come back and say, oh man, man, I wished I'd have been more like you in school, man. You see? And they realize now, after 25 years has passed, they realized that I was that light in the darkness. I wasn't saying I'm perfect. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say I was perfect in high school but I did try to shine some form of a light. All right. And so that's what we need to do as Christians today. Keep shining that light. Be the light in the darkness. Our society, a lot of people's just giving up on it. I hear Christians saying, oh man, it's done. It's over. No, it's not. God can save all kinds of people right here in our community and turn their life around. Amen. He's powerful enough to do it. And he's already died for their sins. Amen. Amen. So, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Once again, that's 2 Timothy chapter 3. So verses 18 through 23. Let's look at those. We'll be coming in here to finish up just briefly. Verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila uh, were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centuria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When, he asked, when they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing, and sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. Remember, that was a couple of weeks ago he had left Antioch. And he had spent some time there. He departed and went over the region of Galatia and Persia and in order, strengthening all the disciples. These are all those cities, remember, he'd been ran out of the last few weeks we have read about. It was in his heart to encourage the brethren in these places that he'd already been. And so he was going to make sure that he went and visited them again and make sure they were encouraged and strengthened. That teaches us a lesson. He was doing exactly what Jesus had taught us to do. We need to encourage one another. Amen. Sometimes we come here on Sunday morning and it's all we could do to get here. The devil's fought us tooth and nail and we're like, man, I'll just stay home today. Things have been going rough. Sometimes we come and we're weak. But come anyway. Because a true Christian church will strengthen one another. And they'll pray for one another and they'll help one another. The Bible says, love one another, that you may be the sons of your Father which is in heaven. Those are Jesus' words. So always we need to encourage one another. Amen? There's days sometimes when I get up, there's been some Sundays before I told Michelle, she can look at me and she knows my body language. She said, what's the matter? You're not feeling it this morning? And I'll say, nope, I'm not feeling it this morning. And it's all I can do to just get ready and come to church. And I know that happens to you as well. But once we get here and we make that decision and we put forth that effort, all of a sudden we realize there was a reason that we needed to be here. Amen? And that was to encourage one another and lift one another up. So just like Paul did, let's be that light in the darkness and let's encourage one another. Amen? And the last couple of verses, and we'll close with these, 24 through 28. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, <clears throat> and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught according, accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him and when he arrived he greatly helped those who had believed through grace for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ very interesting passage of scripture here and i just wanted to make a couple notes for you apollos he became a vital helper in the preaching of the gospel he was a jew by ethnicity and had a great understanding of the Scriptures. He was also a great speaker. When it says eloquent, that means they could speak well, right? There are several places in the Bible that talk about Paul wasn't a real good speaker. He was very wise, but he didn't speak as eloquently as some other people. And they're making the distinguishment here that Apollos, man, he was a good speaker. He was very eloquent, knew the Scriptures. However, He only knew about the ministry of John the Baptist. Therefore, he was teaching people the same thing John did, which was a baptism of repentance. Repent and get ready. The Lord's coming. God's going to send His Messiah. Repent and be baptized, right? That's what John came preaching, a baptism of repentance. Repent of your bad ways and your wicked ways and get yourself ready to meet your Lord, right? So that's what he was teaching people and he he knew exactly what he was talking about. This meant that people were supposed to get baptized in order to prepare for the coming Messiah. Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and taught him that the Messiah had already come and that we must be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. The big difference. See, I can tell you, I could look at somebody, I'll pick on Nathan this morning. Let's say Nathan's not been born again. I'll say, Nathan, you need to quit all your lying, cheating, stealing drugging, and drinking, and whatever it is. Now, we know he doesn't do that, but we'll just say that as an example. You need to quit all that and get baptized so that you can receive forgiveness of sins, so that you can be ready to meet God. That's what John taught. John taught that until Jesus died on the cross, right? Then it all changed. Now, Jesus comes to Nathan and says, I love you, accept me. He doesn't have to do a single thing except believe on Jesus Christ then we get baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's a big difference because He's already forgiven our sins. It's for the remission of sins. So that's what uh, Apollos, he didn't quite understand yet. He had never heard about this other baptism, right? He'd only heard about the preaching of John. He was telling people left and right, this is what you got to do and doing this and doing that. Well, they took him aside and said, hey, guess what? The Messiah has come. This guy, Jesus of Nazareth, y'all have heard about? This is who we have to be baptized into now because He gives us remission of sin, right? See, repenting of your sins just means you want to lay them down and leave them aside and go the other way, right? I want to turn over a new leaf. I want to quit drinking, drugging, stealing, cheating and all that stuff. I'm going to do better. So we repent. That's what repent means. And we go a different way. How many knows if you don't have Christ and you don't have the Holy Spirit abiding in you, those things will find you again. You ever notice that, th- that? Those things will start to tempt you again. And that's when we need that Holy Spirit to say, you know what? I left all that behind. Lord, help me not to go back to those things. So that's what was going on here when, he see- when you see this. Took Him aside. Said that the Messiah had come and He needed to be re- uh, baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. This meant we must be born again. Through Jesus, the Son of God, after this, Apollos played a crucial role in helping spread, establish, and strengthen the Christian faith. And in closing this morning, I just want to encourage us today with this simple statement. Apollos, Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla are the four characters we read about in this chapter. They let their light shine. Two of them were banished from Rome. <clears throat> One of them had to leave. Paul had to leave his city. Apollos had to change the way he thought. But regardless, they were in an evil place. They were in a place that wasn't so godly in Corinth. But they let their light shine. Therefore, we learn this lesson. I want to pray for us this morning that we might be like men. May we be like these four individuals we read about today. Enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Educated by the Scriptures. And be a light in the darkness. See, we can't be that light in the darkness if we don't have the knowledge ourselves. If we've not been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. If we've not been educated. See, Apollos was educated in the Scriptures. He just needed enlightened by what the Holy Spirit could teach. Those two things are key. But may we do those things, be enlightened by the Holy Spirit, educated by the scriptures, and may we be a light in our darkened world. Amen. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we have delivered the words which you've given us today. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy upon us. We see here, Lord, we read about four individuals, Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila, and also the Apostle Paul. We see, God, how you use them greatly in a darkened world, in a dark society. And God, may we do as we have just mentioned. May we, Lord, be a light in the darkness. May we be like them. May we be enlightened by the Holy Spirit, educated by the Holy Scriptures. And now may we be the light in the darkness. Lord, our our world is is a dark place. We know that. Nobody doubts that. But Lord, help us not to give up And help us, Lord, to be that light in the darkness, to just live our lives for Christ. People makes fun of us because of that, so be it. People persecute us for that, so be it. But help us, Lord, to remain and be like these four individuals. These are people we can look to as our heroes to be a light in the darkness. We pray these things in Jesus' name today. God, I pray for each and every one also that you keep them safe to the next appointed time we meet. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.